is up, golf enthusiasts. We are back. Uh, another big week last week. So if you've been tuning in, uh, we've been giving out some pretty pretty hot plays. We were all over Tony Finau last week. Uh, Tony Finau came through and won the whole tournament. Now, in fairness, I admit we didn't predict him to win the tournament. We just predicted he would be in the top five. So well, well, right. Joel Spencer did. Spencer had well, an outright on him. Very Sorry, good. Spencer had the prediction. So uh, all in all, if you're listening to the show, we're giving you the right picks, right? We're, we're there. We're on it. We're, we're back on our heater. Uh, so come join the fun, right? We're, we're trying to make some money, and, and, we're, and we're doing pretty well at it recently. This week, we got the top 70 golfers in the world. Moving on to round two of the FedEx Cup playoffs. No cut event, which is one that we love. Uh, we're at Caves Valley in Baltimore. They haven't had a tournament here, one of meeting in recent memory, so uh, not too many like stats or whatnot to go off of. So for the purpose of this week, we're, we're really looking at form. Uh, the course might be a little longer, so maybe distance is a little extra factor that we'll add in. But for the most part, I think this week's about getting the best players in the world and who's probably in the best form. That's how I'm kind of looking at it. But uh, Sia, what are you looking at this week in terms of uh, course metrics? Yeah, so they did lengthen a little a little bit. So we're looking at a par 72, 7,500 yards and change. I think off the tee is going to be really important here, uh, more than I would normally weight it. So again, I'm curious to hear what, what Spencer has to say about that, especially in terms of accuracy versus driving distance. They did lengthen the course, particularly on the par fives, I believe. So I think driving distance definitely comes into play. I'm just curious how Spencer is weighting driving distance versus accuracy. I think this is not... I think this is going to be a pretty easy course. Uh, I'm looking for really low scores. Um, so I'm looking at birdie or better percentage, birdie or better gained, whatever you're looking at. I think that's going to be really important. You have to keep in mind that this is a four-round event for everybody. There is no cut. So it lends itself to stars and scrubs, although you don't have to go that route because pricing is relatively soft. You can kind of do whatever you want. You can play balanced. You can play stars and scrubs. But the reason I bring that up is because there are guys towards the bottom that can make your lineup work that – you would normally not take because, frankly, you just don't think they're going to make the cut. But here you don't really have to worry about that. So if you are going stars and scrubs, what you're hoping for from your scrubs is a birdie streak here or there, a couple good days, ball striking and scoring, you know, making birdies, maybe an eagle here and there. And then now they're carrying their weight. So that's something you can get away with in a no-cut event. That is, I like that. I'm on board with that. I think that's a similar mentality that I'm taking for this week as well. And as if you've been listening recently to the show, you've you've heard Spencer give his breakdown of the metrics that he weights and how heavily for for each tournament, and it's super in depth, super helpful, uh, and it's coming from the guy who's already picked. Is it correct me if I'm wrong, Spencer? Is it two weeks in a row you've picked a winner? Two weeks in a row, four of the last eight. So listen, wow. the formula is working. Let's hear it, Spencer. How is uh, how are we breaking it down this week? So here's the thing about a week where you have no prior data to handicap. You actually do yourself a disservice if you get overly complicated with your model. And I'm kind of the king of trying to get as advanced with it as possible. And I don't think that that's the best way to do it this week. Uh, that doesn't mean I didn't try to gain an advantage with the way I computed information. But the breakdown's just a little bit more simplistic and straightforward than usual. So, you know, like a handful of Tom Fazio designs, deep bunkers surround undulating fairways and greens. And the uniquely shaped putting surfaces can be challenging because of the sloping quadrants that need to be traversed. We have six par fours that measure over 450 yards. Three of the other four are potentially drivable. 
All the par threes are extremely lengthy with three coming from beyond 220 yards. And the four par fives also carry distance at over 560 yards. To me, that signifies long iron play will be important. And distance might also play a factor if you have the length to cut corners on the dog legs and carry the fairway bunkers. So I started with T to green for 20%. Now I did tweak it a little bit. It's not as like, you know, rudimentary of like uh, a statistic of just straight T to green. I did go in and try to measure it a little bit differently, but not as much as like trying to mimic the course for the way it is. So I just did it to get a flatter view of off the T approach and around the green. And I think T to green is a really good basic stat to use when research is limited. I did seven and a half percent on weighted par three. That's mostly par three average with a little long iron proximity and bogey avoidance thrown in. As I said, three of the four stretch over 220 yards. The one that doesn't is right at 200. Uh, we have 12 and a half percent on weighted par four. That is a par four average as a whole with some extra weight included on those key ranges of 450 to 500 and 350 to 400. I have 12 and a half percent on par five birdie or better percentage. Straightforward category there. Didn't go with anything different. That's just a, essentially a year sample size of everybody um, on par fives um, within that distance there. And I think that they're reachable for all the players in two shots. So I do think that distance helps a little bit. I have 17.5% on bunker play plus three putt avoidance. That's an even split of GIR percentage from fairway bunkers, sand safe percentage from greenside sand traps, and three putt avoidance for these fast greens. I do think we are trending towards an easy course, as the both of you just said, but those are the things that stuck out for me where problems could ensue. I have 15% on ball striking. That is geared towards GIR percentage. Uh, distance is slightly over accuracy. That was a 70 30 split that I used. Um, I think you could make an argument to go a little bit closer with that, but the way that I described it on a previous show is if you're a really short hitter, you're not going to ever get the distance that you need, you know, for a venue like this. But if you're a really long hitter and you're inaccurate off the tee, well, you may get a hot week with the driver. So I didn't want to make it a 50, 50 split between the two things. I think that distance is going to matter. So give me the guy who's the longest and the straightest. And I think that's going to be, you know, that's easier said than done to find it. But give me the guys with the distance at least to start with it. And then I finished it with weighted proximity from over 175 yards for 15%. Uh, that's just a basic breakdown of all shots I have in my database from that distance over the last two years. I love it. I think that was a really... Uh... A really good breakdown. It helps for folks who rely on some of the course history in terms of what they're going to look for. Uh, I think you can use Spencer this week just to get an idea of maybe some stats to weight um, and how you maybe want to filter down some of your tiebreakers and things like that. Uh, quickly, I know we have, there's a few guys chiming in the chat. If you do have any questions, we will try to get to them. Um, Ivan, um, I'll just quickly touch on, are we taking anybody guys who are fighting for a spot? My take on that is, you know, there might be a little extra motivation for guys, but that works both ways, right? That could also be a little extra pressure that could cause someone to choke or maybe not play as well. So that's not something I want to overweight just because I don't know if it's going to be a positive or a negative to that individual. Uh, it could mean something, but maybe the, the more important thing for me this week would maybe be the guys who are already in the top, I think, 10, which this week really won't have much meaning for them because they're advancing pretty much anyway. Um so that's probably maybe those guys who have a little less motivation. But for the most part, uh, if you're suiting up and you're going out there and playing, you're going to try and win, right? No one's going out there and not giving it their all. So I'm probably not going to weigh the FedEx points too much. 
So let me jump in there. I think you're right to do that. But I think there's a couple maybe exceptions just because we have a little bit more information. For example, Keith Mitchell down the stretch and he's I think 6,500, you know, he's probably going to be a part of a stars and scrubs build if that's what you decide to do. Down the stretch at the Northern Trust on Monday, he knew he had to birdie at least two out of his last three holes just to make it to to this week, the BMW, BMW Championship. And he birdied all three, I believe. And he he just barely snuck in inside the line. And who did he kick out? I think it was Matthew Wolf. The, the, the short of it is when it, when it comes to Keith Mitchell, we at least have some evidence that he operates well under pressure. Now, is he going to make the top 30? No, probably not. So I guess he would probably have to just outright win this thing. But my point is, I think... If you actually have evidence of golfers playing well under pressure, under like obvious pressure, I think you can apply it. A couple other guys that I like that are right on the line. I think Keegan and Hoffman are like either right inside the line or right outside the line at like 28 or 31. Now, I'm not going to build off the narrative we're talking about, but I will say this. Both of those guys took a decent amount of time off over the last couple of months, and they both came in here. You know, we, we liked both of those guys last week. They both came in at the Northern Trust and played pretty well, back to their old ball-striking ways. Keegan actually, I think, even gained with the putter, which he never does. So I think there's something to be said for guys like that who are actually like on the line, like they might not make it to next week, but who are coming off like some some decent rest and who showed that they that rest probably paid off last week. So I those guys are the only guys I have in mind that are actually like I'm talking about Keegan and Hoffman that are actually on the line because I kind of like the rest narrative because I see that it probably paid off given how how well they played at the Northern Trust. Yeah, and and I like Keegan and Hoffman. I don't know if I necessarily like them for that reason, but I do think if we saw good form from them last week, it's a positive going into this tournament. I kind of agree with Joel. I think it's a case-by-case perspective here. Um, we don't exactly know how certain players are going to react. As you said, we saw Keith Mitchell make multiple birdies when he needed to down the stretch, but I do think it's tough to try to anticipate what to expect from a weekly basis from everybody. I think if we saw it last week and we saw good form, that's more of a reason why I'm going to play them. But, you know, a lot of these guys that are way far down, as you said, Sia, they're going to need a victory to get inside the top 30. So maybe it l- lets them play more freely. I mean, maybe that's a good thing in a no-cut tournament also. But uh, once again, that's kind of just speculating. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. And, you know, this field, when, when we're, we're looking at, since it's obviously, you know, at least maybe it's not the exact top 70 in the world, but. There's a reason they have the most points, right? So we're looking at what should be close to the top 70 golfers in the world, which means it's a pretty loaded field, which also means, you know, and I've said this before, I prefer the loaded field. I think we can do, we can find better value down low when there's all the good golfers playing. So um, I do think there's some value to be found. Um, And let's go break down the field right now. So at the very top at the uh, 10K range, uh, Spencer, why don't you kick us off? Who do you like up there? Uh, I'm probably going to be a little bit in the minority on this one. So, you know, I I think let's start with Rom at $11,700. And I've been saying this for a year now. Rom's the best player in the world. And we're finally seeing it come together with the high-end finishes that he's putting together. Uh, Ownership's going to be up there right now. I have him projected at about 22%. But other than price tag and ownership, I mean, those are the two reasons that you could come up with to fade him. I don't think it's that simple to make a case from a statistical perspective. But who I actually like this week a lot is Xander at $11,100. And here's the reason why I will say this. So the price tag is incorporating, I believe, the no-cut narrative that follows Xander around. 
but I don't hate it if it means we get a version of him that's around 10%. The course seems ideally suited for his total driving and birdie making acumen. And I tend to think that this is probably the best leverage play that we can find up in this range. And uh, we know that he's a guy who can go low in a no-cut tournament if you give him the opportunity. So I really like Xander. I think that it's an incorrect price tag on the surface. He's technically a negative value for me, but uh, if I'm looking for a leverage play in like an MME of some sort, I think Xander makes some sense. I'm going to be out on Spieth at 10,800. Uh, that was bad version of Spieth last week off the tee. Like that's what we were seeing a year ago with it. And maybe he turns it around. If you can come up with a narrative, he's going to be 7% owned. I mean, maybe one of you two have a differing opinion on that than I do. Uh, so that's something that we can talk about, but I would rather take Xander for $300 more. That's just my opinion on that. I like Justin Thomas at 10,600. I think he makes some sense in all contests. It's another guy, no court, no cut tournament seemed to, you know, better his game. It's going to reward his birdie making skills with it. Uh, I'm pretty much out on Dustin right now in 10,400. Another guy where the ownership is going to probably be sub 10%. But it's the one thing I keep saying with Dustin, the long irons and the par five scoring have just not been there. And I feel like we're trying to throw darts at this point, hoping to get Dustin correct. And maybe this is the week that he turns it on. But like, I'd like to see it first in a tournament like this. Uh, maybe a par 70, maybe a short course, which is weird to say with Dustin. I think that's almost more suited like the Southwind type thing for him. I thought was a good fit for him with it being a par 70 with that. I don't have a problem with Kepka at 10,200. He's technically a negative value, but um, he's kind of there for me. And then Morka was the tough one at $10,000. He came out and said that his, he had back injury from the Olympics. Obviously didn't look good last week. Um, you know, I'm going to monitor the ownership with him. I mean, if this thing dumps down to nothing, I could be intrigued to take a shot. But at 10% right now, I mean, he's kind of in the middle. I'd like to see where that's going to go. But, uh, you know, if I'm playing cash, JT and Rom, I think I like just because with this being a no-cut tournament, a guy like Thomas, to me, his birdie making is going to be what matters. I think you'll get one big day from him. And for GPPs, probably Xander Thomas and in single entry and three max, I mean, it's going to be hard to, I think, avoid Rom. Yeah, I totally agree. It looks like Joel might be frozen. I'm not sure. This is funny, Spencer, because I'm on Xander too. I like yeah. Xander quite a bit as well. And, and, and I also like Rom. And I also like, who was it? The J Justin Thomas. I yeah. think those were maybe your three main ones. And honestly, those are my, my main three guys as well. I I don't love any of them. I'm not in love with any of them. I love Xander as a leverage play if that's what it ends up being. And you're right, on, on a four-day event, Justin Thomas, I mean, I I kind of think Justin Thomas is ready to pop. I think we're we're slowly sort of seeing the the Justin Thomas that is going to be putting the entire game together. And it it could be here. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I, I no, think when I, we I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joel. No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, like Thomas is a guy that does seem like it's about to pop at some point in my model. When I ran it, um, you know, he's top six for me in pretty much all iterations of doing it. I think Xander makes a lot of sense. And to the point that you just said, Sia, I don't think it's a necessity that you have to start in this range. I do think right. Xander makes a lot of sense from leverage, but we've seen so many guys get pushed down the board at this point that I do think you can start in the nine thousands and be fine. And this is more of a uh, betting answer that I'm going to give right now, but 
all my bets that I've done this week are in the $9,000 section. So I don't really mind kind of just honing in on that range also, but I do think Xander is the intriguing one from uh, just to be a little bit contrarian from the field. Mm-hmm. So I, I love Rom. Uh, I love Rom every week. Uh, I'm just going to always try and get as much Rom in my lineup. Two things. I don't think ownership percentage can be high enough for Rom. And two, uh, I don't think his price is still high enough. I, I, at this point, as well as he's playing, he could have been 12-5 and I would have been. That's fair. So I still feel like yeah. I'm getting a value here. So I love Rom. First and foremost, he will more than likely be my highest owned golfer. Um, I like Thomas as well. Not as highly. I, I think I think we're still overrating Thomas a little bit. I, I don't think he is this high of the elite range. I think he should be maybe high nines. And in that case, I would have loved him. At this point, I do think, like, kind of similar. Like, he can still do really well. I'll still have some shares of him. But similar that you're saying with Xander, he does feel, to me, for my player pool, a little overpriced. Um, and then two more takes I have on this top range. The first one is Morikawa. The injury does scare me. So I want to just kind of look at that and see if there's anything there. But I will say, with Morikawa, he tends to pop the weeks that we least expect it, right? The weeks where everyone's off him, no one's talking about him, all of a sudden he goes out and wins the tournament. I'm getting a little bit of that vibe now where it's like, all right, it's been a couple weeks. He hasn't been up there. People are starting to forget about him. And in any given week, he can blow the field away with his iron. So if it's a back injury, then that's an issue. But if it's if it's the injury is not that major, he's still playing, then I, I give me a week where everyone's sleeping on Colin Morikawa every time. Now, my narrative and contrarian play of this range is Jordan Spieth. Now, I have, I have a storyline, and here is why. Jordan Spieth, and I read an article earlier today, um, has played this course a bunch of times. So he's familiar with it because it is close to Under Armour, which is his sponsor who they make the shoes. So he goes down there when he visits Under Armour and he plays this course. With that being said, I don't you know it's Baltimore. These guys don't live. Nobody lives in Baltimore. No rich millionaire golfer lives in Baltimore. So, <laughs> Ouch. I'm just being honest. I'm sorry, Sia. But <laughs> I'm not from Baltimore. I'm from I'm from Baltimore adjacent, Washington DC. But apologies to all the Baltimore fans watching. Just, the show. No, there's nothing wrong with Baltimore, but I'm just saying if you're a millionaire golfer, you're probably gonna live in Florida or California where you can play golf all year round. You're not gonna choose Baltimore as your city. Um, so with that being said, they probably none of these guys probably don't have a lot of experience on this course, but Jordan does. So that should be an edge for him. That's one. Two, getting a guy as playing as Jordan's been playing this year at sub 10 ownership that's the gpp formula right like mm-hmm. of course it's going to be hard for us to pick which one of the best 10 golfers in the world is going to do best but you know the week where we get jordan speed and no, no one's going to be surprised when jordan speed gets third this week right because he's jordan speed but at seven percent right that's going to make a difference in a gpp so of course maybe not a cash game lineup but for gpps with the guy who probably has more experience on this course than the rest of the field uh at a low ownership i think he's worth taking a shot on that makes sense. If the ownership stays low, I I, I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, Sia, why don't you uh, start us off in the 9K range? Yeah, so it's the bottom of the 9K range that I think I like the best here. I have a feeling you two are going to talk about a couple of the guys at the top. So let me just start at the almost the very bottom. I, I like Patrick Cantlay, which is interesting for me to say. I'm not usually on him. He didn't play particularly well last week. He actually lost strokes on approach. And he picked up almost everything. I think he tied for 11th. He picked up almost everything around the green and with the putter, which is not exactly the recipe I'm looking for. But if you look at Cantley as a whole, he's been really good off the tee. 
He can really pop with the approach game and he can pop with the putter. So again, when you're talking GPP, I don't really like Cantley as a cash play. I like the guy below him as a cash play, but I think Cantley is a really smart GPP play that might get, you know, relatively ignored because he just hasn't really put the, the full game together lately, even though he had a nice finish last week. So I like Cantley. I love Victor Hobbard. I'll tell you right now, wait for the end of the show, but he's going to be one of my outrights. His ball striking was excellent again. No matter what, like if if this course is kind of a layup or or if it's difficult, like we know that Hovland has the ball striking game to succeed either way, off the tee, on approach. I don't think around the green is going to catch up to him too much where, where, where he typically fails. And hopefully he'll have a putter for all four rounds instead of three and a half. And he'll be good with that too. I just think you're getting a, a really nice price on Victor Hovland. And I think he's, I genuinely think he has a shot to win here. So those are the two guys I'm kind of focused on. I mean, Cam Smith is interesting. I brought him up last week as well. Just don't know if I'm willing to go there again and, and expect the same results. Other than that, uh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say in the 9K range. Spencer, who are you looking at here? Well, I kind of gave away some of the, I guess, the end of the show of where my outrights are being in this range. So it's going to be hard to... Uh, you know, not give them all away right now. And I'll, I'll run through this and I'll try to, I think people will be able to kind of figure out where I'm at this week, but just to double down on what Sia just said about Cantlay, you know, the irons really never got going for him at the Northern trust, but he had averaged 3.62 on approach over his last five. If we remove his performance at Liberty national, he's gained off the tee in 22 of his last 25 bents his best surface. And he's gained around the green in 17 and 19. I really like Cantlay this week. Also, I think he's a great GPP play. I uh, probably makes him a good outright bet also if you're looking at it down that road with it. So Cantley's a guy I really like. I also really like Victor Hovland at 9,100. If we take away the 12th at the Open Championship, he's come in 43rd, 36th, and 47th in his last three. That obviously is going to leave a little bit to be desired, no doubt. But it doesn't tell the complete story because he's gained nearly five strokes per start off the tee and approach in those finishes. Uh, as Sia was saying, I don't think the around the green play or the putting is nearly as bad as perception. The problem is, is when he's bad, he is so bad that he's the worst player in the field. When he's good, he actually can gain strokes in that area. So I think if he's neutral or can be a little bit positive, I also think Victor Hovland can win this tournament. Uh, he might be my favorite wager of this week. And he's one of my favorite plays at $9,100. Uh, Daniel Berger at 9,000. He's one of three players for me that graded inside the top 25 of all stats. I measured Morikawa and Rom would be the other two. And as Joel was saying with Morikawa, you know, this might be an opportunity not to jump back into the $10,000 range, but if the ownership is low enough, he does have the upside. He's third in my model. He can clearly win this tournament. So I'm not discounting him, but as you guys are saying, like, I'm just going to monitor the injury. I want to hear what he has to say. And I want to see where the ownership is before making a decision there. But you know, Berger gained 5.8 shots with his irons last week and lost 5.7 with the putter. I think if the irons remain dialed in, his around the green problems get somewhat reduced. And I think that's a, a very good thing for his game, just with the way that he can play out of sand traps. I think that, that he's one of the better sand trap players in this field. Not that you want to get stuck in the sand traps, but you're going to miss greens. I think that that's something interesting there. And then one of my favorite plays this week, and I am going to be the only one I assume that is going down this road. Tony Finau, $9,800. And I think one of the things with Finau is, it's very ironic that I think a lot of people's narrative is that Finau is not going to do well because he just won. 
The thing with that is we went five years that Finau could not win. That was the whole narrative behind him. So mm-hmm. if we're going to use a narrative that now, okay, well, Finau has won a tournament, so he can't win again. I think that's a little bit wrong. I think this is a great leverage opportunity for him at under 10%. I think the price tag is actually somewhat okay. My model loves him this week. Anytime you have off the tee and around the green courses, I think that that helps him. Uh, you know, I've seen Quail Hollow and Riviera and venues like that kind of being comps for this course. I used to think that those were two venues that Finau might get a second win at if he was going to get it. And obviously it came at the Northern Trust. I think this is a really good setup for him. I would not be surprised if he either won this week or won at the Tour Championship. So I'm going to probably be backing Finau for both of those. And if I'm going to throw in one more person, uh, just kind of along the lines of what Sia just said, I think Cameron Smith at $9,500 is at least at least worth a look. Like I'm not typically a Smith guy, but there's a lot to like from a statistical perspective. He ranks second in putting fourth on my weighted par three category, second on par five birdie or better first in overall birdie or better and first in bunker play plus three putt avoidance. So I'm willing to give him a look. I, I believe he's third right now in the FedEx cup race. So, um, you know, he needs a big finish to try to go into the finale with a real chance to win this. But, uh, those are probably the five guys for me that I like the best. I'm with you on on Fino. Um, I think for me, I'm gonna go. And if you want a narrative on Fino, I'm gonna go on the opposite. It's like the poor guy was so good, couldn't get a win for this long. Now he got one. Maybe he just unraveled it, and now he's gonna come on a tear. Maybe he just yeah, wins yeah. this whole thing, just gets hot. And I did a quick peek at like his history. He does tend to put top tens in bunches. Obviously, he doesn't win much. You don't get too much history of what he does after a win, but. He does like when he does well, he doesn't do well a few weeks in a row. He's not one of those guys that shows up and disappears. So um, I definitely think there's something there. And I'm also with you on Cam Smith from this perspective. He's way overpriced for who he is. So, like, that's hard to pill swallow at this price. But we always say Cam Smith doesn't show well on metrics. He's just a putter. So you got to pick your spots. He's going to show well. He's been best iron play we've seen at a Cam Smith in a, ever. So if he's hitting his irons well and he's going to drain all his putts, then he should be. That This price makes sense. It's just a matter of can he sustain that. If he's going to carry the momentum over to this week, then he deserves this price, and he's right up there with, with all the big guys. He's going to be hard to beat. So I think that's an interesting play as well. For me, I'm gonna I'm probably not going to go back to the Louis O uh, train, I think. He's been, I think, kind of the same narrative that we had said a couple tournaments ago where it's like, I think it's time for him to come to regress back to reality where he was playing a little bit above himself for a while. And now I think he's back to, he is still a good golfer. He could still compete this week, but he's getting that nine, six price tag, which I'm going to be looking for elsewhere for this tournament. So um, I liked Bryson coming in. Like we said, it's going to be wide open. He's going to bomb him out. The ownership percentage concerns me, right? It looks like right now he's going to the highest owned guy and, if that's the case, Bryson's too volatile to be the highest on guy. I don't, I don't want to go up that that tree. I, I do like this course maybe, and I, I probably will have some exposure, but at the high, I, I will go another direction. My favorite play in this range, especially as someone who uh, is going to be playing a lot of ROM, is Daniel Berger. Like you guys said, I mean, his ball striking is there. His price is low enough where we can squeeze him in with ROM. Um, and it's not like Berger's a bad putter. I mean, he's not the best putter. But I think, you know, he's due for some uh, positive regression in terms of equaling out. If he strikes the ball as well as he did you know, the last couple of weeks, makes a few putts, I think he should be a right in contention. Uh, let's keep moving, though. Sia, what are you looking at uh, kind of moving down to this next range? 
Yeah, 8K range, I think there's three guys that I'm focused on here. One is is going to be kind of obvious, and I'm not looking at ownership percentages at the moment, so I'm curious if, if you guys are in terms of where he is owned, but Scotty Scheffler at 8,900 is, is kind of an obvious play, especially over a four-day event. Uh, Scotty, over the last 36 rounds, he's five, or I should say fifth in birdie or better gained. He's top 10 in both off the tee and actually he's not top 10 on, on approach he's he's actually 35th last 36 rounds but he's 10th off the tee there's a lot of other metrics but particularly the scoring ones that actually speak to scotty scheffler being a good play for me here so i like scotty as we go down i i go towards the lower end of the range sam burns you know last week he was really good he wasn't particularly good on approach but we know he can pop on approach we know he has win equity we know he's He's been pretty good off the tee. He certainly was last week. And, you know, as far as the short game, you know, that can get hot or cold. So I'm looking for guys kind of like Cantley. I'm like looking for that approach game to pop. It didn't last week, but I think it can. Same with Sam Burns. He can really pop and he can really score and put the points up. So that's another guy I like. The last guy I like is Sung J.M. I mean, I, I think I think you guys have me convinced. I mean, I've been on this guy for a couple of weeks now. And Joel, I don't know if it was you or Spencer, but – Oh, you know, honestly, it might have been Rick on the first cut, too, where we started to see the game start to come back, um, you know, over the last couple of months. That approach game, the ball striking is really coming back. It's funny because the putter is what's failing him now. But if the putter is if he's even a zero putter with the ball striking that we're seeing, um, Sungjae at 8000, it's just tremendous value, in my opinion. I'm with yeah, you. I, sorry, Joel, you can go. All right. Well, then I will. Uh, I'm with you. I think Sungjae is uh, – I, I, you're right. I think, you know, he, he's normally a guy that can putt. So when he's bringing all the other metrics around, uh, I think he makes a lot of sense. And this is a value. And right? now we're talking about a guy who – when Sungjae top tens, we're not like, oh, this is a you know surprise. Sungjae is a guy that competes regularly on the So at this point, we can cram in the guys we like up top and balance it out with with some of our Sungjae's and things like that. I think the, the main value on this slate is in the low AK range. I think there's a ton of guys here that I'm going to be targeting. And it starts for me with Harris English. Um, and it goes right down from there. English, Burns, Casey, Neiman, M, even, you know, getting into we'll, – we'll, get, we'll save that for the seven gear range. But I think those five guys, any of them could have been in the low 9K range. No one would have batted an eye. So now if, if, if someone like me – I'm cramming in ROM. How am I going to cram in ROM? I got to just equal out that value. So to me, like, if you want to look at this field to, as a whole, there's not a big difference between Paul Casey and, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler, Abraham Answer, Patrick Cantlay. So even Rory, right? Like Rory has the legacy is why he gets up here, but Rory hasn't been putting up the results. Um, so Casey has, right? Like if you were to just take this season alone and compare Rory to Paul Casey – it would be not even close, right? Paul Casey blows him away. So Rory's up the, with his price tag because, um, you know, he has the legacy, he has the name, he's Rory McIlroy. But Paul Casey's playing great. I think he disappointed a little bit last week. And so maybe that people have come down on him a little bit, but I expect him to get right back to where he was. So in this range, I like the, the bottom of the range the most. I do think Scheffler makes sense. Uh, but for the most part, that's who I'm looking at. Go ahead, Spencer. Who do you like? Yeah, I'm in agreement with you guys on this. Uh, so there's five players that graded as a positive value for me on DraftKings. Scheffler was a very slight positive value. But for me, it comes from that $8,300 range down to Sungjae at 8000 So Burns at 8300 his game continues to be hot with uh, three top 21s in a row. 
He's 14th tee to green over his last 24 rounds. That's a total of eighth approach and 14th around the green during that span. Paul Casey at 8,200. I think Casey's one of the best buyback spots this week after coming 64th at the Northern Trust. He gained 8.9 shots off the tee and approach over four days, but imploded with a short game by losing 10.1 shots around the green and putting. This is more of the salary point where Casey makes sense. I think this is where you kind of want to have him. Like we made the argument last week as a high $8,000 play. He was fine. And I do think he was in theory. I, I just think that the putter in the round, the green game went off for him. But at 8,200, that low 8,000, high $7,000 range is where I really like buying into Casey. He's going to be popular, but I think that that's a good chalk with him on it. Uh, I like Neiman a little bit at 8,100. He's been trending a little bit in the wrong direction, but the distance he has off the tee and scoring ability from all three of the par ranges makes him a nice flyer at under 10%. And I really like Sungjae at 8,000. I mean, that seems to be the guy that I kind of beat the drum for every single week at this point, but uh, he was plus 2.8 shots off the tee over his last three tournaments. He's plus 2.9 with his irons over the last three tournaments. I think any semblance of a short game will make a a contender this week. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I love that. So let's head down to the 7K range. I'll kick us off here. And by the way, real quick, because Sticks Picks kind of uh, entered the fray a little bit. So he, that exclamation point, if you're watching on YouTube, tells us that he also supports Sungjae. And uh, Spencer, you just did the Better Golf Pod with him. So was he on board with Sungjae as well? Yeah, Sungjae was one of his favorite plays. He has him in, I believe, the top 20 market at plus 160 something. And then he has an outright ticket on him also at uh, 60 something to one. So uh, make it all four of us, I guess, on the Sungjae train. Nice. Fair enough. <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. So heading down to the seven K range, right? This is where we got to find our value. Uh, these are the guys that we need to hit on to really kind of take down a GPP. So with that being said, number one play in the seven K range by a mile and a half. And it's not even close. And I don't know why he keeps getting disrespected. Is Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry's ball striking numbers are as good as, as, you know, all the guys from 9K and below, um, you know, if he had been 8,800, I wouldn't have batted an eye. At 7,900, to me, I think he's probably the best value on the board. Um, so I'm going back to the well here. I think uh, I think he just makes a lot of sense in terms of roster construction for this week. And then as I go down, there's some of the guys I like. I, I have a little bit of concern with Russell Henley's distance. He's not going to be the longest hitter. Um, but his ball striking has been really good. I mean, he's been competing – the last couple of weeks, his putting was awful last week. And I just can't imagine he'll putt that badly again. He's not the, like the worst putter. So if he makes a few putts, um, you know, he can compete. Now, the distance is a concern. So if you're going to really target distance hitters, uh, I can see why you wouldn't want to be too strong on Henley. But for a guy that's going to be under 10% owned, uh, I think he can be a nice sneaky play down here. Also go down, you know, I think another guy who's kind of been quietly really good recently is Cameron Tringal. You know, he was a guy that we have you, we, earlier in the season we were on often. We kind of came off him more recently, but uh, I haven't heard many people mention his name. But in his last four outings, he's got you know three top twenty twos and a, and a tied for twenty six um, with a fourteen and a sixteen in there. So he competes, and, and on top of that, his preferred putting surface is bent grass, which is what he has in this week. So I think he's just playing really well in the mid 7K range. That's another really nice value we can add to our rosters. I also want to throw in uh, Harold Varner, whose ball striking numbers haven't just, you know, last week they were great, but he's been ball striking really well for the last couple weeks. So 
I feel like he's on a bit of a roll. If this is a guy that you kind of want to try and catch a hot streak, I think Varner is on one. As well as Cameron Champ. So we saw Champ we came out and win a tournament. You know, we know Champ, other than Bryson, is the next longest hitter on tour. So if you're looking at distance, he's definitely someone that will check that box. His ball striking and the other things that maybe he hasn't historically been that great at have been much improved. So I think we're getting a different golfer right now in Cameron Champ, someone who's playing really well on a bit of a hot trick. I think he can compete this week. So at this price, I think this is a good value in Champ. The last guy in the 7K range that I want to mention is Johnny Vegas. Johnny Vegas has been on an absolute tear. He disappointed a bit with, by missing the cut last week, but uh, I don't, you know, like we always say, don't let one week make you lose your, your feeling on a guy. Before last week, he was just completely on fire. I think he finds some of that back again this week. See, nice. tell me, who are you looking at here? So Lowry's really interesting because, and I'm curious to see what Spencer has to say about him. You know, I almost feel about him like you feel about Louie, like, maybe the run is about to end because he's been pretty bad off the tee the last four tournaments. I mean, you know, like I'm talking about losing two strokes or more off the tee. And if we're going to emphasize, and at least I am, um, and I know Spencer is to, to a degree um, off the tee game, it is, you're, you're kind of like flirting with disaster a little bit. You're right. The ball's striking overall because we're adding an approach and he's been immaculate on approach. Like probably, I mean, I'm not looking at my, my rankings right now, but certainly one of the best in the field. But I, I just the off the tee game just scares me a little bit too much. So I do like him. I just don't like him as much as maybe we all liked him last week. I do want to mention Kokrak's name because he sort of jumped out at me initially. And then I and then I looked at his last three tournaments and I'm like, man, maybe this guy's injured and we just don't know it. You know how like the PGA tour, they like I wish they would make their players kind of like say, you know, whether they're injured, whether it's minor or major. Um, you know, with Harris English, for example, he had a back injury. Nobody really knew about it until he started getting good again because he started talking about it. But Kokrak's numbers are just deplorable the last three tournaments. But to me, he's still kind of interesting. Like, I, I don't know that he can turn it around, but I, I'd be curious to see what his ownership percentage is. Um, as we go down the board, I'll just be real quick here. I mean, Keegan Bradley, I, I talked about him on the front end. I just think the ball striking is back. That the Keegan that we knew a couple months ago is there, and he actually gained with the putter. I don't expect that to happen again, but I think this is a fair price for Keegan Bradley, and I do think he battles in these in these tougher events. Uh, Johnny Vegas, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think he's a great ball striker, and I think he'll be fine on this course. The only other guy I'd probably add in there is, and I think Henley's really interesting, by the way, is Charlie Hoffman, another guy that I mentioned at the front end of the show. I just think Charlie Hoffman is is rested he's back and he's he's striking the ball well uh, i have no issue with taking him especially at seven thousand. i love it i love it i'm with you on on a lot of those plays as well uh spencer you looking at anyone different down here well i think the cameron champ call that you have is an interesting one that's not somebody that i was necessarily eyeing and we've talked about distance so i mean i think he's the guy other than bryson that you should be looking at if you're if you're discussing that but uh, he's kind of a break even value for me on the slate. So, you know, at less than 10% ownership, I don't really have any qualms there with you to pick with that. Like, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think Lowry at 7,900, um, my model loves him from a safety perspective from it. I agree a little bit with Sia that I, I do think the off the tee stuff is a little bit worrisome, but it's worrisome in the recent span and it's worrisome in the long-term span for him. So I think that just is what he is as a player. Um, I don't think he's so like off in that game, like that that's, you know, something's going to implode on him. I think he's fine with that. Wait, uh, I get one from that topic. I want to ask a question. Do we think that um, 
being and he's off the tee is because he's a little bit wild. Like that's why he's poor. So do we think that that should actually be neutralized here with bigger fairways and maybe he shouldn't be able to lose as many strokes off the tee because it's a little bit more open? I don't know. I mean, I guess my biggest problem with him would just be the par five scoring, which I guess there is where the driving becomes more of a problem than anywhere else. He is 61st in my model in the last year uh, in par five birdie or better percentage. Um, I mean, I guess the only argument I'd have to that, like to go counter with that is he's 20th looking at GIR in fairway bunkers. So if he is missing, he's getting himself out better than most players on tour. And I think that's a positive, at least, uh, if we're going to have a guy who's an inaccurate and maybe, you know, that's a problem, like at least that's where he seems to be saving strokes from. The only other thing I'd add there is, is I think they are so, sort of, um, shortening the fairways a little bit, not shortening, uh, making them not, not, not quite as wide. So um, again, we, we don't really know exactly what's going on. I, I know uh, North Fork or otherwise known as coach. Um, I, I assume that means 25 wide fairways. I don't know if that's across the board, I, you know, again, uh, but, but I know coach has uh, usually a lot of information from a, just a core standpoint, but I did hear outside of that comment, I did hear that they were kind of bringing in the fairways a little bit. So it's something unfortunately we just don't have enough information about this course. So this is something we monitor tomorrow and we got, we got more boots on the ground, so to speak. So we'll actually be able to speak to that, but Joel, to your point. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously if these are going to be wider fairways and not as like penal, you know, um, issues with the rough. Yeah. But I I think it's going to be a little bit uh, more difficult than, than we think right now when it, when it comes to that Um, a couple real quick things uh, sticks, Chimes in again, Kevin Streelman, top 20. So uh, Spencer, you did the better golf pod with it. Do, do you agree with this? Is Streelman one of your plays as well? So Streelman and Tringali are two guys that did not grade well off the tee for me, but still graded as values for this tournament. Um, that would be my biggest problem is just a distance perspective with both of them. But I think those are probably the two best guys in this range to target that have some sort of a lack of distance. So I don't have a problem with Nick's play on it. I think it makes sense. I think Tringali makes sense as you guys discussed with it. Um, and the only other ones for me, I guess, that throw out there is I like Keegan a lot. I think Keegan's ball striking has been really good. I kind of like Sergio at 7,600. I think that that's a great leverage spot here. Um, great ball striker. I, I think if we can get him at less than 5% owned, I think Jonathan Vegas at 7,100 makes sense. Uh, see, I know you mentioned Charlie Hoffman at 7,000. Uh, that's one of the guys I'm in agreement for also. And then the only other one that you guys did not mention that I will throw out would be Maverick McNeely at $7,000. Um, very slight value for me, but the form looks good. He's 11th off the tee over his last 24 rounds. I think if we're looking at off the tee, that's a good thing. He's top 30 in weighted par three. He's in the top 50 when it comes to my weighted par four. Um, and just across the board, the numbers look relatively good for him. So I think that if the form can continue, he's a guy that can at least find some success at $7,000. I guess the only negative I'll throw out to that is McNeely has had a problem in the past of not making birdies in bunches. Like there was a tournament a couple uh, events ago where he parred all 18 holes on Sunday and cost a bunch of people money. So that's what we don't want in a no cut tournament. We want people that can go out and score, but I do think McNeely at $7,000 is a relatively good price for him. Yeah. And by the way, McNeely was uh, the win daily secret weapon last week. So he, uh, that, that record has now moved to 43 and 12. And no, I, I totally agree with you on McNeely. I think he makes a ton of sense real quick. couple questions. Ivan chimes in with how do we feel about uh, Eric Van Royen? He's actually been, you know, pretty good. What outright won the Barracuda, I believe, and obviously had a good finish last week. I, I will mention, uh, you know, 
please guys chime in, but he gained almost seven strokes with the putter last week and he lost on approach. Uh, he lost one and a half strokes on approach. So it's one of those things where it, it could go train wreckish if the putter's not working for him. Thoughts? My narrative, I, I, I came into the week looking at Van William like he's been competing. Maybe it's time to look at him. But then when I dove deeper, I saw the seven strokes putting. Hard to see him doing that again. And then, you know, if you want to look at the Barracuda, you know, listen, I can sell you, you know, one way or the other, but the Barracuda, for lack of a better way of saying it, is a JV tournament that has nobody in it. So he's now going to compete with the big dogs and it's going to look, a little, it's going to be a lot harder. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm out on, on Van yeah, I mean, I'm more or less in agreement. I guess if there's two positives, I'm trying to find way to proximity 14th for me. Uh, good out of bunkers. I mean, that's an interesting combination there because if he's good with the irons. He probably won't be in the bunkers. And if you're in the bunkers, you're not scoring. So that's not necessarily like the most, you know, true stat to try to find success. But yeah, I mean, at the price tag at $7,500 at like six, 7%, uh, he's not necessarily somebody I'm looking at either. So also the the last thing I'll just put up here, um, talking about cash builds uh, on in, in this particular no cut event. So maybe we can wait until after the 6K range to talk about that just because I don't actually have reliable projected ownership right now just because of how the Northern Trust fell on Monday and whatnot. So I think maybe instead of doing the good chalk, bad chalk segment, maybe we can just talk about a few guys that we like for cash uh, in this particular tournament. So um, I think that's I think that's all the questions, Joel. All right, yeah, let's let's kick off this. I'm going to kick off the 6K. So I'll start us off here. For the 6K range, it's a short and sweet one. Um, you know, the, the first guy I'll start off with is Brandon Grace. You know, people may be coming off of him because he had, he had a bad showing recently, but he is just – this is his best season, I think, I've seen out of him since I've been following golf. He has been playing great. I think I don't think he's too far removed. I think he can find it again. So I will be playing Brandon Grace in this range. I think he's certainly a value. Um, I like Ryan Palmer here. Ryan Palmer has been called. This is not someone we want to like, this is definitely a GPP play, but I think Ryan Palmer's a guy who distance check. I mean, he can compete with these guys in terms of distance he does prefer these greens. So maybe he'll make a few putts this week and he does tend to pop here and there. So again, it's taking a risk, but from a GPP perspective, you're diving down to the six tier range. I think Palmer is someone that could be interesting. Um, I really like Pat and Kazire. One thing that to really like about Pat and Kazire is the no cut event because he scores well on DK. So Pat and Kazire, even if he finishes in 30th, he can get a lot of birdies and that could be a, a good DK scoring week. And you don't have to worry about, oh, is he missed the cut? I'm done because he can't miss the cut. He gets four days. So he gets, you know, if day three, he has that day where he shoots a 65, that's fine. And his scoring should be able to keep up with the rest of the, the loose. So I, I love Pat and Kazire both from a cash and from a GPP perspective. Because he's just so low, and we're guaranteed four days. And my Hail Mary play of the week, the, the the cheapest of price, someone that I got my eye on is Hudson Swafford. Uh, Hudson Swafford has been gaining a ton of strokes with his irons. He's been terrible around the green, which we think might get neutralized this week. Uh, he's not a great putter. Obviously, we're going to need something like that. But if he's anywhere near the approach numbers he's had the last two weeks this week, he doesn't even need to make that many putts, right? He just at 6K flat, if he just gets us a top 30 with some DK points, totally fine by us. He can even blow up one day and we can survive it with the no cut event. So I think he's really interesting at, at minimum price here. Uh Spencer, how about you? Who are you looking at down here? Yeah, I mean, Swafford and and Gooch, I mean, if we want to go down that route, both of them are going to carry some ownership to them. But I think that those are probably the 
Uh, and, and Kazire, by the way, like those three guys would be the cheapest I would go. I'm not really looking to go much lower than that range. Um, I like Carlos Ortiz a little bit at 6,600 Ortiz kind of keeps burning me in most of these events a little bit, but I like his around the green game and I know it hasn't shown up recently for him, but I think he's sitting on something that he may be able to, um, to show here. I agree with you on the Ryan Palmer call. Great total driver, uh, great par five score. I think that the one downside to him is always how he plays out of bunkers. And he's had some real head scratchers this season where, I mean, he's made some massive numbers out of those, but look, I mean, there's no cut tournament. He, as you said, Joel, he seems to pop here and there every once in a while. So I think Palmer makes a lot of sense as, uh, you know, an option at $6,400. I like Max Homa at 6,400. I, I think he's a good total driver of the ball. I, I think he's good enough. Like if we're trying to find comp courses, uh, you know, he won the Genesis. I think that that tournament is a potential comp course to this form. Hasn't been great lately, but I think that's something he can turn around. Um, I mean, to me, if I'm trying to just throw an absolute, like, I guess Hail Mary, even though the price isn't a Hail Mary price, it would probably be Mark Leishman at 6,700. I don't know exactly what to expect from him, but for as bad as he is in certain stats for me is as, as good as he is in other stats. He's in the top 20 of my model and weighted par three. Uh, he is fourth when it comes to the bunker play plus three putt avoidance. And he is second in weighted proximity over 175 yards. So like, look, Leishman might come in last place, but I do think that he's a guy for an ownership perspective that does provide leverage here. It's funny timing you say that because we just had Wilt Chamberlain's son log in and <laughs> question. And it was literally what you thought about Leishman. And that's, that was perfect. That's that is perfect. Yeah, it struck me that Leishman's name was tucked that far down. I took I took a small look at him as well. Uh, I don't think I'll be on him, but there's reason to be on him, especially at a four day event. I totally get that. So, Joel, I have just a few guys here. Um, A guy that's been playing pretty well and has an outright uh, on his card for I don't know, it was probably a couple months ago now. uh, Cam Davis. And if we're if we're right, and we're, we don't know if we're right that this is going to be, I don't want to say a bomber's paradise because that's like super cliche and 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 whatever. But like, if it is going to favor the bombers, and if there's not a lot of trouble out there, then I think Cam Davis certainly makes sense out here. So um, that's a guy I've got my eye on. A couple other guys, I I think Max Homa is also a good play. Uh, I agree with that. Aaron Wise is interesting to me. Um, played pretty well last week. His issue was always the putter. Um, so we'll kind of have to just wait and see what happens with that. But uh, I think Aaron Wise at 6,300 makes sense. I also think Taylor Gooch, who I'm not usually on, but at 6,200, I think he makes sense as well. As far as like kind of like a dartish throw, I think Sebastian Munoz might be a guy I'm interested in. Um, the ball striking has really been there lately. Um, the all-around game, frankly, has been there lately. So I think he's a guy that might get overlooked that in this range uh, is a good play. I love it. And if it is any consolation or if this helps anyone, a lot of the guys that maybe I didn't mention, but Sia did or Spencer did, I also like. So seems like the guys that we're on are, are very similar. We're, we're on the same type of guys. I don't know if that's bad for ownership or good that we're targeting the same guys, but either way, uh, I think uh, we're, we're targeting, you know, we, we're seeing the same things in some of these guys in this field. So and, and the the good news is, is some of those are, are, are semi-contrarian. So it's not like we're giving you all the chalk. I mean, I think we're giving you some names that um, even at the top, when we talked about Xander and uh, a couple of those other plays that maybe a can't lay that might not be the, the higher ownership. I think they, um, I think they make sense, but also won't be super chalky. 
Totally. Um, awesome. So wait, before we move into the betting market, uh, we did want to touch on some cash plays. So the biggest thing for me from a cash uh, perspective and mentality-wise for building lineups this week is don't forget it is a way different building rosters with a no-cut event. Guaranteeing all four days means a lot, which means to me to chase the birdie or better percentage because those guys tend to be more volatile in that they might have a day where they blow up that causes them to miss the cut, which ruins your lineup. They can't do that this week. You have a blow-up day one. You still have three days to shoot a really low score, which completely washes that out. And those guys that kind of meddle along and just shoot 68s and 69s for four days but don't get all that many birdies, definitely the guys who avoid this week. Let's just get the birdie makers because they have four days to accumulate DK points. You can get some cheap guys, and then you can fill in with the guys up top that you really love because uh, you can afford to do so, guaranteeing yourself four days from your lower-priced lower, lower priced golfers. That's my kind of thought process, especially for cash. Uh, see, but how would you play uh, a cash this week, and what, what would you do differently? No, I totally agree. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to sort my model initially and just see who the birdie or better gained guys are just so I have a really good vision of that. And then I'm going to hope that most of them are – you know, rank out pretty high in terms of my overall ranking. And that's that's what I'm going to chase. So, I mean, for example, I can give you three names that are going to be, let's see, top 10 in my model that are also top 10 in birdie or better gained. And I'm ballparking that right now. But yeah, I think that that is the case. Uh, Hovland, Hoffman, and Scheffler. And so those prices aren't prohibitive, by the way. You got 9,100, 8,900, and 7,000. So I, I'm not saying that should be your core because... I really just addressed this question just now because coach asked it. So I, I maybe I need to look at it a, bit, a little bit longer, but those are three guys that I'm easily absolutely happy with relying on because they're going to make birdies um, and they're good ball strikers. And that's really what I'm looking for here. And they're, they're all of them are good course fits. Uh, Sam Burns is another guy. He doesn't rate out quite as well, but he's a guy that to me can score on any given day and really light it up. So that's another guy that I might include in, in my, so that, yeah, I don't think it's one of those things where you take a guy from this range, you take a guy from this range and a guy from this range. I think you just look for the guys who can score and who happen to also be good ball strikers. And those are probably, and the cool thing is, is the pricing is kind of soft because of the talent in the field. So you don't have to jam in, you know, a bunch of low end guys because some of these guys are really reasonably priced. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Uh, Spencer, what about you? What are your thoughts on, on a cash build? Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. I think the most important thing to look for is guys that can make birdies. I, I think that that outweighs anything else this weekend. My model actually has a, a a cash thing that I put together with it. So I can tell you who the top six players are for cash for me. So it would be John Rahm, number one, Daniel Berger, number two, Justin Thomas, number three, Tony Finau, number four, Cameron Smith, number five, and Paul Casey, number six. So that's my top six. Most of those guys are guys that are going to make birdies. Um, Cameron Smith is number one in my model over the last two years in that overall birdie or better. Rom is two. Thomas is seven. Finau is a little further back. And, and I do think Finau makes more sense as a GPP play than anything else just based off of the ownership. But I kind of think Finau is playable across the board this week. Spencer, can I ask you something? Because uh, a lot of those guys were in that kind of like mid eight to, to 10 K range. Is there a guy in your model that fits for cash? Maybe he's in the top 15 or the top 10 that might be like in the 7,000 ish range, not 7,000 flat, but you know, in that kind of lower end range. Um, 
so Cameron Tringali at 7,500 is 15th for me. Uh, as I said, I worry a little bit about the the off the tee stuff. And a lot of that is just being based off of more so of his finishing positions than anything else. Um, if I'm looking for, well, let me, I can sort it by overall birdie or better percentage and just tell you who pops up if there is a guy in that range. Um, so yeah, Cameron Davis would be 14th overall. Uh, Patton Kazire would be 16th overall. Um, Charlie Hoffman would be 19th. Those are guys that just possess, um, birdie making skills in the top 20 for me. Love it. That's good info. Thank you. Love it. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. I think we gave a nice breakdown of the DFS field. Uh, before we, we wrap up tonight, let's head to the outright market. We'll start there. And, uh, Spencer, why don't we start with you? Who do you, uh, you have any outright tickets that you are looking to punch or you've punched already? Yeah, so I've punched four. Um, Patrick Cantley at 25 to one, Victor Hovland at 35 to one. That's probably my favorite one of the group. Daniel Berger at 35 to one. And I'm going to go back down with uh, Tony Finau at 30 to one. I'm also going to most likely play him next week at the Tour Championship, too. I love it. I love it. See, how about you? Who are you looking at in the outright market? So I only picked three guys. I normally have four or five, but I only picked three because these are the three I was comfortable with. I think I have five to give for first round leader. So uh, I'll start with Scotty Scheffler at 30 to one. Uh, you know, Finau got his win last week. Maybe Scheffler gets his win this week. Um, and then I'm going to give you my favorite, which is Victor Hovland at 35 to one. I'm totally with Spencer on this one. And then I'll just give kind of a long shot at um, 65 to one, Charlie Hoffman. Yep. I'm with you. I like those. Uh I'll give you guys one long shot. My Hail Mary of the week at 100 to 1. Cameron Champ. I think Cameron Champ's playing really well. I think he can put another kind of hot week together. So 100 to 1, someone to take a shot on. Uh, I think the number is off on Hovland. So I'm with you. I think Hovland a lot as an outright ticket just because I like him more even as an outright than I do in DFS because I just think, you know, the guys surrounding him at 35 to 1, he's a class ahead of. So uh, I just think you're getting a good value on him. So. That'll be my second one. But my last play this week, I just think, again, I think it's just a really good number we're getting. It's Sung JM at 65 to 1. Mm. Nice. And now where we make all our money, the guaranteed lock of the week, your first round leaders. Spencer, kick us off. Who you got? So there's a couple players in my model. Um and and I have to do a better job of doing these prices beforehand. And I, it seems to be one of those things where I run it as we're talking about it. But I can tell you who popped up for me. Maybe you can give me some prices, one of you two, if you guys have some numbers up on it. But uh, Keegan Bradley is the biggest differential for me when I was looking for difference of uh, volatility when I remove some of the volatility from the mix. Ryan Palmer is second. Jason Kokrak is third. And Patton Kazire was fourth. So those were the four biggest differentials I had. Yeah, I can give them for you. So Bradley, we're at 55 to 1. Palmer, 80 to 1. Uh, remind me, who else did you say? Uh, Kokrak. Kokrak, 55 to 1. And uh, Kazire. Kazire. Ooh, Kazire, 130 to 1. <laughs> right? That is huge. All right. If yeah, that's, that's the play. Sign that's me a, up. That's a really big number for a guy that can get hot. He can get hot with the putter. He can make birdies. I, I think that's a 
extremely good number. He's top 20 for me in all those metrics of the overall birdie or better percentage, the putting that I'm looking for. So I think that's a really good number on Kazire. I didn't think the number on Kazire would be that big of a difference on the other guys who listed. So when I got saw it, it was like three times. Sure, that's enough for me to put a bet on it. So I'm in. Let's, let's go with Kazire. Uh, I'll go next. I think I only have a couple plays. Uh, obviously, Pat Kazire is one of them. Um, mm. But, you know, in terms of the guys that, that I had kind of lined up, I think uh, Cam Davis could be interesting at 80 to 1. I think that's a really good number. I think Johnny Vegas at 70 to 1 is a number that I like. And the most realistic, I think, number for first round leader in terms of guys that are competing, I'm going to go with Sam Burns at 50 to 1. You guys are going to be so surprised at how much overlap we have. I, I can't even believe it, actually. Okay, so I added I added Sebastian Munoz. So he's like my sixth like outlier one. It's not even that great of a number. It's 70 to one. I literally just added that. But here are the five that I like. And again, these are going to be familiar names. I threw in Scotty Scheffler at 30 to one. Not very fun, but again, um, I think Scotty Scheffler is due. And so it could be his time. Hovland, yes, I have him as an outright, but I also have him as a first round leader at 35 to one. Sam Burns at 50 to one. I like him as a first round leader. I'm skipping the next guy because that's the breaking news. And let's see, Hoffman at 55 to one and Johnny Vegas at 70 to one. I might've given you way too many there, but let me just recap. Chef Hovland, if you want to get rid of one of those, get rid of Chef because it's 30 to one and this is first round leaders. It's not, you know, we're not trying to take guys with short odds. So let me just start with Hovland, Sam Burns, Charlie Hoffman, Johnny Vegas. Again, Johnny Vegas is 71. Hoffman is 55 to one. But here's the breaking news. And one of you two said this guy. I've mentioned him at least twice during this show. So maybe a couple of you already kind of figured out who I like. At 55 to one, I'm going to announce that at 55 to one on August 24th, two days before the BMW championship completes its first round, that your first round leader is going to be none other than, again, at 55 to one, Keegan Bradley. Chalk it up. You're welcome, America. Go out and spend your money, fellas. Spend all of it. Actually, don't don't put anything. Don't hesitate. Every dollar you have and put it all on Keegan Bradley. It's no it. brainer, Bill. <laughs> no brainer, Bill. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think when we look at this, like guys like Munoz and Keegan Bradley and Russell Henley have kind of been these first round leader guys that keep paying off all the time. And I just think Keegan's playing so well right now that uh, this is a very good spot for him to potentially do it again. Carry the momentum. I, I totally agree. Um, guys, I think that's a wrap for this week. We gave you the formula. Come back next week. Let us know how much money you won. Uh, for uh, Sia Najad at Sia Najad, Spencer Aguilar at TF Sports. The, I'm Joel, obviously, at Draft Reflex. The last thing that uh, we have for you tonight is this. well, it's just it's just one other thing that we completely forgot uh, is uh, sports.